2019-2020 school year, more than 1.6 million children were enrolled in preschool programs across the United States. But is early childhood education really a springboard for academic success? What are kids actually able to learn and absorb at this age? And are we striking the right balance between the ABCs, the one, two, threes, and the social interaction so vital to healthy development? This is what I want to know. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Troy, one of the world's leading experts in early childhood psychology. Dr. Troy is a clinical psychologist at Children's Minnesota. He serves as the medical director of behavioral health services and as the site director for the Pediatric Innovation Initiative. I've invited him to join the show today to talk about our preschools and if they are teaching the science of how young brains develop and grow. Dr. Troy, welcome to the show. There's so much I want to talk to you about. I'm fascinated by your work. I'm fascinated by the brain science associated with where students are, but I always like going back to the beginning. What drew you to this work? I mean, this isn't the type of thing that, you know, a 10-year-old kid says, I want to study the brain science of young people. I guess the, the starting point for me was really kind of an interest in why children can come from the same set of circumstances and end up in very different places and how children can begin in very different places and, and end up on a, on a common pathway with, with others. And that very early on led me to think about the issues of risk and resilience in development. I spent time in the early 80s, which will date me a bit, but in Northern Ireland, working with children in the context of um, conflict there and sort of working in different settings. And when I went to graduate school, I became interested in sort of issues of children's mental health. But that actually led me earlier to look at not myself to look at, but to, to join a group looking at the power of the attachment relationship between the primary caregivers and an infant and how that affects uh, early development and carrying that forward. And so I, I have that background. I then spent a long time working as a clinician uh, with uh, children and adolescents and then was fortunate enough to join a network through University of Minnesota and Harvard University's Center for the Developing Child, where they are really trying to understand the mechanisms that, that translate, as they like to say, sort of how experience gets under the skin. So what happens in our life, how does that translate into brain development and to health, to resilience and risk? I have, I'm a parent of multiple children, and for all of us who have more than one child, we often wonder how they can be so different. Did you come with any conclusions as to why parent, you know, kids who come from the same household, the same yeah. experience, how can there be such a wide variety of differences, especially if they've had the same type of grounding from the beginning, right. you would think? Your question goes to one of the important issues in the field, which is sort of, you know, how, how does our genetic makeup and our environment come together? Yeah. And for a long time, you know, this was sort of framed as a debate. Um, you know, as somebody, you know, more famous than me said, you know, it's not a matter of uh, nature versus nurture. It's nature dancing with nurture. Now, that wasn't Yogi Bear, was it? <laughs> <laughs> it may have been. And now more recently, sort of the notion of, of, of genetics, the environment and time. You know, so when things happen in development matters a great deal. We're, we have evolved to have much in common and some things different. You know, to, to have complementary sets of personalities and skills and attributes. But underneath that, 
there are very basic common needs that are, if we meet those, then we can develop into our fullest sense of ourselves, even if it varies one from another. You know, we come in with different skills, different talents, but that core can be common. You've written and talked a lot about that zero to three years of age time period and how critical that is. And so so many of the markers that dictate your life are set in place at that time. Talk a little bit about that. I like to um, say that uh, if there was one year to get right in life, it's the first year, you know, then the second year, then the third year. And, you know, with enough time, I I could convince most people of the power of that first year and what happens in it. Humans are born extraordinarily immature as a organism. Like there is no mammal as helpless as a, as a human baby. And, and partly that's because so much brain development is continuing to happen. You know, like our primary advantage from an evolutionary point of view is, is our problem solving, our, the complexity of our thinking or the complexity of our social structures. And so some people, people sometimes refer to, you know, the, those first, you know, three months of life as the fourth trimester. You know, it, you know so much development is still happening. And we are uh, predisposed to organize around the people in our environment taking care of us. And that becomes the, the prototype or the definition of what a relationship is. It begs the question, as you and I both know, we have so many children born in poverty, so many children born to uh, mothers uh, with uh, chemical addictions of some kind, so many environmental challenges that are not healthy or conducive to making that one year productive. So how is that impacting society as a whole? Many people, many educators feel that maybe they can help make some of that up through the preschool experience, through having, yeah. you know, sort of the right, you know, uh, interventions early right. on. Uh, how does that all come into play? When I talk about how important that early environment is, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that if we're not careful, we begin to equate, say, poverty or scarcity for the quality of experience that an infant has. Yeah. It's related. Sometimes it's referred to as ordinary magic. Like, how does that happen? Well, sometimes in, in what looks like a, a very stressful, even chaotic circumstances, there is somebody or a few people providing stability and consistent and responsive care. That's a fair and, point. Yeah. Yeah. And from the point of view of the, of the developing infant and child, that trumps all the other things that are happening. Yeah. You know, one of the things you said in, in, in your writings was that, you know, and you referenced your own kids, raising kids are hard, but it's not complicated. And I do think <laughs> that in today's age, we're so used to looking for the answer and trying to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And you put such a premium on relationship buildings and having those relationships formed right. at an early age. Talk about that, because I, yeah. I, I do think for a lot of young parents, you know, who want to do the right thing. Right. They want to get them prepared. They want to get yeah. them in the right schools. Right. You know, some of those basics still apply. They absolutely do apply. You know, that kind of began the conversation talking about brain development, but the human brain develops in the context of relationships. It cannot engage the world by itself. It has to be mediated, you know, with, with someone else. And so there isn't anything more important than that availability of invested, loving, consistent human. And then brains are built from the bottom up, right? So, so early on, right away, what's happening is how do I regulate myself, my body? Then it's sort of like what is around me and, uh, and, and the power of language development 
And this whole process early on, tell me if this isn't responsive and I'll, I'll, I'll refine the answer, but, but we begin with, at a brain level, with this tremendous explosion of synaptic connections between uh, neurons. And then experience comes into play. And based on that experience, we begin to pair those connections. We don't develop more, we develop fewer. Not fewer neurons, fewer connections. We shed what we don't need and we strengthen what we do need. And, and it's true in language development. Language development is a good example when, you know, when six, eight month olds are babbling and they're emitting every sound unit, not only for every language that exists, but every language that ever existed. And, and then the environment engages and their brain is wiring the sounds they need for the language or languages they'll speak. And they discard the rest. And they discard the rest. Wow. And, and so that happens in language development. It happens in sort of how we learn about um, sort of attention and focus and things that will become very important in, in school. So, um, you know, sometimes these are referred to as sensitive periods. And again, you know, I, I may give my language to it, but in education, there's a language for understanding this as well. You know, there's a reason why a preschool curriculum is fundamentally different than an elementary school curriculum. Yeah. And it's because of the, in a sense, the developing uh, brain and the transformation over time of, of children. So when, when you talk about preschools and their, their curriculum, with this big sort of academic push and making sure that kids were testing at grade level and standardized tests, some preschools, you know, sort of uh, tilted toward getting kids not just ready to learn, but you know, the one, two, threes, ABCs are premium. Is it fair to say your view is that while getting ready to, for school in preschool is important, there shouldn't be as much emphasis on the ABCs, but maybe more on the social interactions and the relationships. Would, it, would, would you agree with that? So when a group of you know, kids are, are pretending to build a castle, they're, they're working through things like, how do you develop a relationship with another kid so that they'll play with me now and I'll do what they want to do later? How do I uh, play with that other kid and do what they want to do and delay the gratification I'm going to get from what I wanted to do in the first place? Like those are the bricks and mortar of development of, of that age group. Now, can you pull in curriculum that is more academically focused? Sure, that's fine. You know, but I don't think it's the important work of preschool. You know, I think a development as um, moving from one developmental stage to another to me is more like moving through a chute than through a gate exactly when each kid enters and how fast they move through it are just their individual differences and they aren't that meaningful necessarily except at the extremes. And so if you um, learn to read well at five and I learn to read well at six, when we're adults, you don't have a year's more knowledge than I do. You know, you don't read a year better than I do. You know, so so I think if it's interesting, enjoyable in the context of what is developmentally appropriate for kids that age, it's fine. But it's not it's not actually the most important thing happening. Yeah, I'm reminded of that old uh, notion that uh, you learn all you need to know in preschool playing in the sandbox <laughs> with others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you ask most kindergarten teachers, would you rather have a kid that has mastered the basic sight vocabulary? and they're, you know, are good at forming letters, or a kid that can, you know, sit in group, enjoy a story, help their neighbor, um, uh, you know, be patient and, and cooperative, like, like to, as a starting point in kindergarten. What would most kindergarten teachers choose? I think they would choose a kid that has some measure of control, regulation, 
uh, social engagement and interest. Dr. Troy, this is what I really want to know. Has the pandemic impacted on how our children are developing? I, I think it is relevant. I think it's been very stressful for families. I think that uh, for very young kids, their needs are pretty fundamental and basic. So whether they occur in the context of um, a daycare, a preschool, a home, if, if there are consistent relationships that are engaged and responsive, they're probably developing fine. Now, it's been hard on families. It's been stressful economically. It's been stressful in terms of balancing work and so forth. And, and you know, but it's that. It's not a mask. It's not something else. And I said it's a, it's a little bit glib, but, you know, somebody, we were talking about the effect of masks in pediatrics and, is it, you know, how it affects kids. That's not good. But I said, you know, it is a factor. It is stressful. But you know what else is stressful? You know, uh, the ice age or, you know, having to uh, live in a refugee camp for several years. You know, like there are a lot of things that we're faced with that we can manage if there are stable, consistent relationships. We get through it and we're built for that. You know, we're 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 an extraordinarily resilient species. And so young kids coming through this, it will matter. Uh, it'll be part of their story. Uh, but I don't really worry about their development over time. Yeah. Well said. The resiliency of humanity is part of our trademark. Dr. Michael Troy, you do an incredible work. Thank you for joining us. You're very kind. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to write a review, too. Explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK on social media. For more information on Stride, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know. Thank you.